Welcome back to the E-Hunter Podcast. Um, tonight I got Seth on the line with me again. Seth, what's up, dude? Oh, not much. How about you? Just living the dream, dude. Living the dream. Ready to move back to Utah. Thank <laughs> heavens. <laughs> no offense, all of us Coloradans. I'm going to say us still I'm still in Colorado, but man, I'm excited to move back to Utah. <laughs> Going back home. <laughs> yep, exactly. Going back home. Um, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, number one, first and foremost, is I want to be a resident to put in for Utah hunt draws because you don't draw anything if you're a non-resident. Most non-residents that listen to this will agree with that statement. But uh, <laughs> it is home. Excited to go back. So going to be moving over the next couple of weeks. So excited to uh, to do that. What's new in your life? Oh, not much. Same old, same old. Looking at uh, where to hunt and planning where to go and what to do. So. Yeah. Well, we're in the heart of uh, kind of finding out what draw results we have, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, but before we get to that, as always, we want to thank our title sponsor for eHunter, which is Vortex Optics. Um, they just came out with a cool new rifle scope, the Venom. Um, knew that it was coming out, was pretty excited about it. And, and you know, actually, when I first heard about the Venom a few months ago, I was like, okay, so what's the difference between the Venom and the Strike Eagle? They sound basically the same to me. And so... Vortex just put on their website a little video um, explaining what the difference is between kind of those that class of scope. Um, but what the Venom is is it's a uh, it's a five to twenty five power scope, uh, kind of when you're quote unquote long range scopes has a locking turret on it. Um, pretty awesome scope, kind of gets out there and touches things. So if you want to get into long range shooting, it's a good option without breaking the bank. You know, a lot of the scopes you look at are the Razor HDs and the, the Vipers and, and whatnot. But um, this is kind of at a lower price point, but um, you still get the good quality get, uh, glass. You still get the VIP warranty that Vortex has on everything um, and allows you kind of to take that first step into long range shooting if it's something that you're interested in getting into. And actually, you know, even if you're into it, um, it, you know, you can put it on pretty much anything and, and start shooting long range or continue shooting long range. So um, I'm actually pretty excited to get my hands on it. I'm hoping to have my hands on it here pretty quickly. Uh, I'm actually going to do a little bit of uh, messing around with it. I'm going to put it on my wife's 708 <laughs> and see what kind of long range shooting I can do with my with her gun. So pretty excited about that. Did you, did you get a chance to check it out, Seth? I did. I watched the video. It seemed. It seems like it's right. Like you said, it's kind of right in that that wheelhouse of just a step off, like a, a true, you know, more. I hate to say the word, but like a true budget long range scope. But it's just a a step up from that. It still has a ton of uh, features packed into it. It looks like it looks like a pretty cool scope. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And you know, and I'm going to throw a plug in for the Strike Eagle, though. Um, I've got my hands on that in the past, and it's 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 a little bit of a step up from this one, but uh, it has a little bit better glass, apparently. But um, I mean, both really are going to accomplish the job. Uh, I'm also thinking about when I get that scope, putting it on my uh, 22250, and seeing what I can't do with that as well. Like, I kind of think that'd be a good scope for that gun, don't you? Yeah, that's that's actually a great idea. That gun, them them 250s will. They're flat shooting suckers. You can shoot a long ways. Yeah. I mean, they get out of ways, and then they start dropping. I think you get out there about eight, 900 yards. Then they really start to – actually, right. it's, it's even closer than that. I think it's probably like 600 yards. It really starts to drop. All my long-range buddies are going to just slam me for that comment, by the way. But it, it'll be interesting to see what it, what I can do with it when I uh, if I put it on that. Maybe Now I'm actually thinking I might just throw it on that and see what I can do. 
<laughs> Anyways, we want to thank uh, Vortex for sponsoring um, eHunter. They, they sponsor the podcast, the website, everything that we do, and we appreciate them. They're really cool guys. Special shout-out to Sawyer over there. He, he's very awesome to work with and uh, really enjoy our partnership with them. So with that, let's jump into our, like I mentioned, our topic. Um, we're kind of right in the heart of, of getting uh, you know, those, those result emails. In fact, I got one today for Colorado Pronghorn. I didn't draw my tag. I'm probably good and bad. I'm, I'm sad when I don't draw, when it says unsuccessful. But moving to Utah may be difficult to come back and do that hunt anyways. But um, successful on my deer and my elk here in Colorado. Seth, sounds like you're pretty successful as well. Yeah, I uh, I was successful on a Colorado deer tag, and uh, Utah let me down, which is about par for the course. Yeah, that's, that's about <laughs> normal. Yeah, that, there's Utah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I I did get a, a deer tag, and I've I've still got dedicated hunter here in in Utah. So, got a few hunts to go through, and it'll it'll be a good fall. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it, and you know the other guys, members of uh, E Hunter. Well, I don't know about Monty yet. Well, he's if he has anything, I need to reach out to him, but. Um, Curtis has his New Mexico tag this year. He got his Colorado tag, um, which we were talking before we hit record. He may have to turn back for uh, for baby reasons, but um, yeah. I should have talked to him before they had, you know, got pregnant. You don't have babies that time of year. You just don't do it. <laughs> you get time. married. You don't have babies that time of year. <laughs> uh, shoot. But what we kind of wanted to do tonight is really just um, for those that you know maybe new to hunting or are hunting different units um, or different states, kind of like what those next steps are after you draw your tag. So say, you know, you are getting that email right now. Hey, Joe Blow, you're successful on this hunt. You know, it's an exciting moment. I think all of us hunters are excited when we get that email. Like, oh yes, I'm going going to go hunting this year. I'm going to have that tag in my pocket. And then there's kind of that thought like, well, crap, now what's next? And so... Seth and I kind of just want to talk through what we do when we uh, when we draw that tag, kind of those next steps, uh, and hopefully this is beneficial to you guys. Um, if you guys have any questions that we don't cover in this or any other um, insights that we don't cover, let us know. Shoot us an email, catch us on social media or something like that. Let us know your thoughts on it. But um, Seth, I'm going to jump. I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and let you jump into it uh, to begin with. When you draw that tag, you get that successful email. What are your first steps? Well, one of mine, and I kind of, it depends on the, the hunt and the time frame, but, but one of my big ones is if I typically contact, whether it's the DNR or a biologist or something, either right before I apply for a unit or, or right after to get a feel for it. Now, they obviously are, are trying to, quote unquote, sell a hunt too. They're, mm-hmm. they're going to give you the best scenario, but they do spend a lot of time in the unit. They'll give you you know, survival rates, data, things like that. That's one of the, usually the first things I, I do when I draw or right before I draw, I, I contact somebody involved in that unit from the state to, to get a feel for, for what it's like. And, and they are more than happy nine times out of 10 to give you just a plethora of information about the area you're going to be hunting. Yeah, I agree. I, that's something that I do from the beginning, or well, not really from the beginning. I mean, I'll do a lot of my research before I apply to a unit. You know, look at success rates, look at harvest, you know, well, harvest rates, look at um, like draw success rates, things like that. But I agree. Once I draw that tag, um, especially when I moved here to Colorado and I didn't know the units very well that I was putting in for, um, I, I did the same thing. Call a wildlife biologist in that area, 
And, and I felt the same way. I'm like, wow, these guys really are out there to help us be successful. And, um, you know, they, <laughs> they have more insight on the, and, and spend more time on that, uh, on that unit than any of us do. So I, I found that helpful as well. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a big one for me. Like I say, sometimes I do it right before if I've kind of narrowed it down and be like, yep, it's probably going to be this one. I get that last little bit of information to make a decision. But if not, it, it happens after I get that successful email or notification. So. so so did you call the wildlife biologist in the unit you're going to here in Colorado and said, hey, where where are all the 200 inchers? Is that yes. what you did? I said, Taryn isn't telling me the truth. <laughs> you are the real big bucks. Taryn keeps <laughs> telling me that there's no 200 inchers, but he keeps sending me these pictures. So, you know. <laughs> that all the deer are small in the whole state, but I don't believe <laughs> Uh, that's the, you can't ask a hunter what you know about a unit like you can't get on it on a facebook group or anything like that because you're just going to get filled so full of crap but you know these wildlife biologists they are out there to help you and again they spend a lot of time out there so i, I love that one that's that's a, a great one i think the next thing that i do um either before or even after that one is, is i jump on to uh and do some e-scouting and i and i actually do a lot of that before i apply to a unit um and what I'm looking at before I apply to the unit is I look for public and private land. I want to know how much public uh, land I have um, to work with, public land to work with. Um, the tool that I use is Onyx Maps. Um, Onyx has been a partner of ours. We uh, we use their maps. All, all of us use their mapping tool. Um, and, it, and it's really good because you can just hop on there. You can see the boundaries of the unit. And then um, you can see all the properties, whether it's public, and it'll be you know different colors. For BLM, it's yellow. For Forest Service, it's green. And then it has all the private land. Tells you who the private land owners are. So, you know, if I draw a tag that has a lot of private land in it, uh, for example, some of the the pronghorn hunts here in Colorado have a lot of private land, and it'll give you the information of who owns that land. And then you can start reaching out to these people and and get access um, from the beginning. Um, and so. Once I, I've done that, I, I've really looked at that unit where I'm, I want to apply, I get the tag, then I really start um, getting into the nitty-gritty of focusing in on like where exactly I want to go. I identify places to camp, I identify different ridges that I feel like I can get up to and glass. Funny story here real quick, um, I was looking for my elk hunt last year of a few places that I wanted to go to glass, and I, I thought the elevations were correct of, of what I you know kind of expected them to be and so I, I marked a few spots on the map and put them as, as glassing points and then a few weeks before the hunt me and my buddy actually went up there to do some scouting and boy was I way off <laughs> so so e-scouting doesn't answer all your questions it doesn't fix all your problems because you'll you'll look at this on a map and think okay this is what it is and I even did like a, you know another mapping tool is google earth you do that 3D, and actually on Onyx you can do 3D as well now. And I thought, like, okay, this is exactly how it looks, and this mountain's higher than this mountain, so I should be able to get up on this one and really look at this whole area. And I got there, and it was it was way off, but um, but it did give me an idea of like where the the water sources were, so that I could go, you know, and uh, kind of scout those areas out. In Colorado, you can put up cameras before the hunt, and so I did that. I put a camera up before the hunt just to see if there's anything coming in. 
um, you know, it just, it just kind of gave me a good layout of really where I wanted to go and kind of that, that plan of attack of, of how I wanted to approach at least the first few days of my hunt, where I wanted to go to glass, where I wanted to go to sit during the middle of the day. That way I really had a plan. And obviously as you get into hunting or get into your hunt, um, things are going to change. You're going to start going different places and it, it's all going to change. But at least that first little bit from the e-scouting that I did, it gave me an idea of really where I wanted to go. And I don't know what tools you use, Seth. I believe you use Onyx, but have you? Do you do that same thing? Yeah. So, so I use Onyx and and like you said, uh, Google Earth. Um, just like for example, this unit that I've I've drawn in Colorado, um, I've picked it apart. I've I've focused on a few areas that one, like you said, have have quality public land access, um, and two, from what you can tell on the e-scouting side has some good elevation points that you can look up in, you know, look off of or look up into some, some different canyons and things like that. That's a big one I look for. And like you said, you kind of hit that one on the head, uh, places to camp or even stay, you know, in, in relation to, you can use that, that mapping tool. Even if you say you don't want to camp, if you're staying at a place, you can use that mapping tool to see how far, how much ground you're going to cover to be to the area you want to be hunting at. Um, Water sources, like you said, is a, a great one. I, I've used that a bunch of different ways to, to locate new springs or water. Or even, you know, kind of a, a tricky tip is is they do a pretty good job of marking known water sources. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a, especially if you're in a high desert area, you're seeing a lot of the similar color. And then all of a sudden you see a big streak of green, ping that at, at least sometime throughout the year, there's most likely water running there to get that big band of green growth um and and that's one that some guys aren't going to pay attention to it's not got the little blue dot telling you it's a spring or whatnot um and and that can be a a kind of a hidden water source to to check out yeah yeah i do that a lot look just kind of look at different areas what the what the map looks like and the great thing about onyx is it's so detailed you can zoom in get so close in there to really really look at the the area and yeah, look for uh, I look for different meadows, places that will give me good vantage points where I can, or yeah, look at several meadows if I if I possibly can. You know, I found it was really weird going from Utah to Colorado, and it was just because I hunted in southern Utah versus I'm kind of in north central part of Colorado that I like to hunt. Um, but in southern Utah, you can glass for miles. You know, I mean, you, you it's sagebrush, you can see forever in that stuff. Where I hunt in Colorado, it hasn't been that way, and so. I really had to use on X to really find those those bare areas that you know they may try to sneak into in the evenings or be sitting in the mornings coming out of. Um, so I use it for that too, and you can really find those on 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 X. So that that's a tool that I I mean that's one of the first things, and I'll I'll admit um, this week we've gotten um, Colorado results. Luckily, the two that I drew out for deer and elk are the same hunts that I did last year, so I know the units. Um, pretty well um, but I've still even though I know the units I've still been in those units marking new places that I want to go that I feel will will be awesome because of, of things that have changed with the um, habitat over the last year and, and whatnot that I, I just want to try um, and then also finding different roads too you know just finding roads that you haven't been on if it's a unit you've hunted in the past Onyx has a lot of that stuff updated um, but if it's a new unit that you've never been to, you know, say you're coming from Georgia to hunt Colorado, you don't know the road system, you don't know where these are at, and so it's nice to be able to like kind of plan out where you want to go and what roads you can 
you can access. So really cool um, tool that I use once I find out that I draw. What's yeah. next on your list, Seth? Oh, I was just going to say one thing with, with e-scouting is, uh, and that's, you know, he's talking or Terrence talking about using it on the same unit over and over. And I do that as well on, on the units I hunt consistently here in Utah. But like my experience is, is this unit in Colorado that I've drawn. Uh, none of us that are going have ever put boots on the ground. So we're, we're relying heavily on e-scouting and then we're probably going to try to scout it one, maybe two times before the hunt. Um, I drop a lot of different colored pins, feed areas, possible areas that are going to hold, you know, wildlife, water. I mean, my, my Onyx just looks like a, a rainbow. I've got different colors, meaning different stuff. I download those maps and then you take it with you and be like, okay, this is where I dropped the pin. How does it look? Uh, it looks like crap. Well, that's why I've got 33 other pins to go check. <laughs> So, mine's the same way. I, I, I use so di- so many different colors. Like all my glassing points are white. Where I've killed animals is black. All my just I just want to go check is the normal orange color or whatever it is that on X uses. But I'm the same way. It's a it's a beautiful colored map when you look at my maps. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, moving moving along, a, a big one, uh, and it seems pretty rudimentary, but you'd be surprised is is whatever you're hunting with. You know, we, we talk, you know, calibers. Oh, I want to buy this one. I want to do this. Once you decide what you're hunting with, get very, very efficient with that weapon. Shoot it a ton. Get a feel for it. Shoot different angles. You're, you're never going to be sitting at a bench nine times out of ten, I guess, while you're hunting. You're going to be in, in awkward angles, laying down, sitting up, tipped sideways, doing whatever. Uh, shoot shoot that weapon a whole bunch before you that's a that's a big ass this year seth i've i've been hesitant to go shoot because uh i can't replace the bullets yeah and i i completely understand that i guess at this point just practice squeezing then yeah (laughs) trigger discipline more than than actual shooting i guess this year yeah whatever gun you've got bullets for practice that trigger that's a that's a hard thing this year because and actually it was last year too i got kind of nervous because i the guns I was shooting, I didn't have a, it was kind of hard to find bullets last year for it. And so I didn't shoot my gun a lot from one year to the next and going from last year's hunts to this year's, man, I'm, I'm not definitely not going to put in the trigger time that I have in the past just cause I'm, I'm afraid I won't be able to replace the bullets. Right. And like I say, on a typical year, you're fine. But with the last couple of years, I guess, yeah, the last two years, it's been a little more, scarce and now it's just all the way scarce but you'll you'll want to at least you know like say put some trigger time on without live ammo or do something to get more familiar with that weapon yeah yeah especially if it's something that you don't shoot a lot yeah get very familiar with and i and i you know we talk about that i want to go buy a new caliber and you draw out this i don't know once in a lifetime elk tag or say you are from a place like georgia and you draw a Colorado elk tag, well, you may not have a that caliber in your repertoire. You know, you may not have a a seven mag, which is the best caliber that there ever was created, and it's so much better than the thirty out six or the two seventy. Um, 
Sorry, we better not go down that road again, should we? I, I just think it's funny you're, you're bashing me, and I'm and you're trying to get me riled up, and I've got the seven mag. Just because I, I, I picked the gun I was filming with, I still have the seven mag. I'm not saying it's a bad gun. <laughs> uh, anyways, so they may not have that, that caliber of gun, and so if you do go buy that gun for the specific hunt, boy, start start. I don't know what you got to do to find bullets, but start looking everywhere that you possibly can. And yes, put as many bullets down range as you possibly can to familiarize yourself with that. Because if you're not comfortable, like you said, Seth, if you're not comfortable shooting it off of a bench when you're sitting there at a 45 degree angle downhill, laying on your stomach, on your face, trying to shoot a huge bullet, heart's pumping, it's it's a different game. So, So yeah, make sure you get that practice in. So... Cool. Um, moving on right along then, um, I think the next thing that I would recommend uh, for people as, as you draw out these tags, and this is kind of a shameless plug for myself as well as my friends that are outfitters, and that is if you if it's in an area that you're not familiar with, again, I'm, I keep using this example of Georgia to Colorado because I have a friend that's thinking about doing this, um, you know, you, you may want to reach out to an outfitter and, and get hooked up with them. Um, that's a big undertaking, you know, to, to make that trip or, you know, in contrast, say you got a once in a lifetime tag, you know, you, you drew out that, um, Rocky mountain, bighorn sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something that you're just not really going to ever get again, or the chances of getting it again are, are pretty slim. You want to make it the best hunt you can. You want to be as successful as possible. And so is it worth it to spend an extra few thousand bucks to uh, to get an outfitter, to get a guide, to sit there with you, and, and make sure that it's the best hunt that you can possibly have. You know, if you go home, if you go and do it a DIY, all on your own, and you go home and you're you you will have regrets thinking, man, why didn't I hire an outfitter to help me with this? You know, and that's what they're there for. That's that's how they make their living. That's what they do. Um, don't have those regrets, guys. And I know I'm, you know, it, it's not cheap. It is very expensive to hire an outfitter, and I'm not saying that I have all the money in the world. And it, it's a, it's pretty uh, hard to to fork out that money to do it. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I've got many friends that are, or several friends that are outfitters. Um, I've done it with them, and it's a lot of time and effort that goes into guiding somebody. Um, but the reason that we spend that much time preparing is so that you can have a successful hunt on that once in a lifetime or that unique hunt. Um, so I think it's worth it to reach out to them. So, so my little plug there for my friends that are outfitters, um, is, is reach out to them, make it worth it. Don't, don't be afraid to spend a little extra coin to make the hunt what you want it to be. So anything to add to that, Seth? No, I mean, you're right on. I mean, the, the, the easiest way to put it is, is they get paid to live most of them, you know, or fairly unit specific, they get paid to live in that unit and find wildlife. Mm -hmm. So if you're worried that you're not going to give it the right amount of effort, you can't get there. It's a long ways away. It is an option. It it is an option. It's going to cost you money, but you're, you're paying people that spend time in those mountains, in that unit, knowing where animals are. You know, and it, it it makes it fun too. You know, I mean, hunting's fun anyways. But uh, well, Seth, you probably know you, you've had those tags that there's just a lot of pressure on you. You know, like 
yeah. I'm just going to use the example. So for me, you know, if I draw my Utah tag, my limited entry Utah tag, elk tag that I've been putting in for 20 plus years, when I finally draw that tag, like, I'm almost nervous that it's not going to be fun because there's going to be so much pressure on me to shoot a big bull, um, to shoot the bull that's worth waiting 20 years for. Um, and so to take a little bit of that pressure and that stress off yourself, I think that hunting guides and hunting outfitters uh, can help you with that, help that hunt be a little bit more enjoyable and not so stressful. Do you agree? Yeah, I've seen a lot of, a lot of, especially limited entry bull elk hunts here in Utah because they, they pretend they're not once in a lifetime because you can get lucky. But, but for the large majority of people that apply, it is a once in a lifetime type hunt. Um, and I've seen a lot of, uh, hunts where, where the people helping or the friends and family are having a good time and the hunter is miserable because he's feeling so much pressure to shoot the type of bull he thinks he needs to shoot to have a good hunt. And, and it happens because you wait so long to get this tag. You're like, I've got to take a, a really nice bull which I understand. I've, I've had those tags. You feel that pressure to shoot a, a quality animal because you've invested so much time and money and effort. But like Terrence says, if it does take some pressure off, these guys do it all the time. They know the area. They're, they're going to find quality animals. Yep, for sure. That's what they're paid to do. Um, like I said, I've been there out there and you know, that's, if you're guiding trying to help people you know you're you're the one that kind of shoulders a lot of that pressure and but a lot of that pressure is also off because like you said you spend a lot of time out there helping or preparing for that so that you can help people when it gets to that point so i just again you draw that that amazing tag don't be afraid to reach out to an outfitter Um, and you may be surprised you know, a lot of people think the outfitters charge, you know, gouge you for a a huge amount of money. You may be surprised at what the what that price tag really is, and is it worth worth the money? I think so. Depending on the hunt, I I really truly think so. So cool. All right, what's next on your list? Uh, one we kind of skipped over, which in my opinion should be done prior to applying. But if you haven't done it, get a proclamation. Uh, whatever they want to call it, state to state, uh, hunting guidebook, whatever, get in that book and learn the regulations. Cause you do not want to ruin a hunt by going there and screwing up and getting a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. So I'm just, I mean, like you should read it beforehand, but boy, if you haven't get in that book and read some States are different on Hunter orange. Some States are different about, the type of weapon you can carry, the type of caliber you can carry, the type of broadhead you can shoot. You should get in that book and know where you're going, what they expect of you. And, and everybody's different. Like Idaho, all they do is they recommend that you wear orange. You don't have to wear orange on a rifle deer hunt. Um, Wyoming has a certain circumference, sizes. Uh, I'm sure Colorado has a a certain amount of orange you need to go. I'm just picking this because it's it's so different state to state. Yeah, you wear pink in Colorado. Actually, I think most states are starting to adopt that. But I think I think pink and orange in a lot of states can be used. But mm-hmm. but you certain states require a certain amount. Certain states just say, hey, we recommend you wear it, but you're okay if you don't. Uh, it's just a 
a hodgepodge. So definitely learn the regs before you go. Even even something as simple as make sure if you're taking a four-wheeler, it's licensed properly because some states accept it from out of state, some don't. So a lot of things to think about on the regulation side. Yeah. And, you know, kind of going back to the game warden and, and, and calling them, you know, sometimes it's good to ask them when you make that phone call. Are there anything – you know, that really stands out for call, you know, or that state, I was going to say Colorado, but for that state that you're going to or that area that you're going to regulatory-wise that you that they feel like you should know. Um, they may get on their soapbox a little bit when you ask them that question. But, you know, if, if, and as you, if you go through that proclamation and you read all the different regulations of, of different things and you have questions, you can also ask them when you give them a call. So great point, Seth. I, that's probably something that you should do <laughs> before you even apply. <laughs> Correct. And that's a safe. I do it. I try to do it before I apply, but if, you know, you're busy, whatever. Once you draw, you should probably read at least the sections that you don't, you know, you don't need to read it front to back, but you want to cover the sections that you're dealing with. So. Yeah. Yep. Very good point. Man, that's a, that's a really good one. All right, one other thing that I'm going to put out here. Um, this is this is kind of silly one, but I I think it's something that I do every single time I I draw a tag. Is you know we talked about going on Onyx and finding a place to camp. Um, we've actually kind of my my group of guys that I hunt with. We've started using Airbnbs <laughs> to yep. hunt, and I know you, I'm sure there's people laughing right now, like holy cow, Taryn, you're a snowflake. You're going to stay in an Airbnb, but it's an option, dude. It's it, it, it's pretty nice. It beats the pants off of uh, staying on a sleep, staying in a tent and sleeping on a cot. I'll just tell you that much. And and you'll be surprised at where you'll find Airbnbs. I mean, it's just it, it's crazy. So uh, when I say Airbnbs, VRBO, you know, all those all those different places. But um, so that's that's actually what I do. In fact, I was doing it earlier today. Um, we drew out our deer tags. And so I was hopping on Airbnb to get my, my Airbnb book that I did last year. Um, so just going to put that out there, guys. If, you know, if you're hunting a specific unit that has either a small town in it or even areas that have cabins, don't be surprised if they are, are rented out on Airbnb. Yep. Our, my tw- well, two, two quick stories for that. Uh, my 2019 deer tag was in a unit I'd never spent any time in kind of trying to decide, you know, it's a November hunt. Do we want to tent it? Do we want to tow a trailer down? Hopped on Airbnb, three miles from the border of the hunting unit. The double wide trailer home, heat, toilet, everything, 51 bucks a night. I'm like, why not? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Why not? (laughs) Same kind of deal with my uh, Colorado hunt. I was afraid stuff was going to, book out quick so actually about a month and a half ago when we decided on a unit i got on airbnb found us a cabin that's right in the heart of the unit gonna be all four of us that are going are gonna be staying there hunting out of it they cleared and one thing i will say clear with the the renters that they're okay with having one hunters there and two firearms on the premises because people can be a little skittish yeah, yeah. Confirmed it with her that it was okay, and then we're just gonna stay in a cabin and be able to hunt from there. And it has everything you'd ever want. It's gonna beat the heck out of Tenton in the middle of November, or mm-hmm. even in a trailer with the potential for snow and things like that. So it makes it nice, you know. And you, uh, it's funny because like when I go hunting, 
I, I love the backcountry hunt like I did my elk hunt last year or we're, you know, I'm, I've got a 60-pound pack on my back. I've got llamas. We're packing in. I'm sleeping on a tent. I'm sleeping on – or sleeping in a tent. I'm sleeping on a really light cot, you know, really like backcountry um, hunting. But then I also like the hunts where, yeah, I can hunt out of a lodge or a, a Airbnb, a cabin or, or something like that. So whatever, you know, find enjoyment in whatever you can. But I did want to put that out there is once you draw that tag – and you're looking for places to, to camp, don't rule that out. I mean, that, that it's just an option that, that's out there for you. So. Uh, another one I had, which, I mean, we should try our best to do this all the time, but be prepared physically for the hunt. Yes, I had that on my list as well. Yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, we're all busy. Everybody's, let's be honest, a lot of America's got sedentary jobs. We sit around a lot working on a computer doing whatever but find find the time to be at least active enough that you're you're physically capable of, of hunting the area you don't want to draw a tag and then just not have the gas to go anywhere um because the thing you got to think about too especially if you're coming west or, or whatever elevation change can really mess with your oxygen levels if you're not prepared you can you can be down and out a day or two there, there's a bunch to think about that way but but you know, if you draw a tag, you know you're going to be hiking some rough country. If you're living in the West, we have the access to, you know what, I'm going to go find the roughest trailhead and I'm going to walk it every day just to get used to doing it. Uh, guys that don't have that, get to the gym and get on that stair stepper, I guess, and crank it to the maximum level and climb that sucker. <laughs> so, it Don't underestimate that, really. You know, I, I follow – obviously on Instagram we follow a lot of hunting guys and you know it, it's, it's actually kind of fun when it comes to like middle of summer or even the beginning of summer you see these guys really start ramping up their their fitness you know and I you know I look at uh, a really good buddy of mine um, you guys know him it's Garrett Weaver with On Point the On Point podcast you know he's really getting hot and heavy on uh, on fitness right now because he's realized that deficit when he's hunting you know, if he's not fit, he's, he's, you know, that puts him at a disadvantage. And, you know, I mean, there's the guys out there that are super well-known, the Cameron Haynes of this world. And, you know, when it comes to hunting, we really need every advantage that we can because um, we don't have a lot. I mean, yes, we have modern weapons that are super helpful. Um, but if you don't have the ability to get where you need to get, and then if you don't have the ability to once you get that animal to get it out and do it justice, I mean, you feel like a failure and it's not going to be a fun hunt. And again, this is a hobby. That, uh, I hate using that word for this, but it is a hobby. It's, it's, what we, it's a passion. It's what we love to do. And if you're not in good physical shape and prepared to do it, it might ruin your taste for it. You might get a little bit frustrated and uh, and quit. So... Um, you know, as a as a little side point or whatever, we're not saying you have to be the most ripped dude no, on the mountain. No, but prepare yourself. I mean, I know I know some bigger dudes that will walk the legs off of some people. I yep. mean, if they've got the stamina and they work on that, you can carry a couple extra pounds on your body if you are constantly working on keeping that stamina. And some guys just have it, man. I don't know if it's genetics, whatever. Some dudes can can be built a certain way but they can walk forever hike carry it, it doesn't bother them but you should still take the time to to at least do something to be prepared physically for those hunts yeah yeah you hit it right on the head you don't have to be perfect but 
be ready for it. it. It just makes your hunt better. If if you're gasping for air, you can't even walk up to the top of a mountain, and you're miserable, then. Yeah. And if you're trying to get to the top and you got to stop to puke, yeah, try to get to it. Like uh, you know, it, it happens. You you exert yourself so much, you throw up. I mean, that sucks. <laughs> One, if you're throwing up as loud as I do, the deer and elk are probably running away anyway. <laughs> but I've, I've heard these stories. I mean, guys trying their dangest to get to a spot, and even you know. Even guys that are in shape, sometimes it's so demanding you just can't get to a spot. But but permanently, or I guess I should say permanently, but purposefully handicapping yourself because you're like, ah, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you're you're asking for more of a chance to fail. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And we want every chance we can to succeed in the in the right. way we do. So give your chance yourself that chance to succeed. Um, keep yourself fit, and if you're not get to that point you have plenty of time before your hunt starts so so get on that that treadmill that stairmaster whatever you got and, and get there near your house whatever you got to do yep exactly it's funny like people always had the, like old school people always had this idea the hunters were just these fat guys that sat in tree stands and you know that's how that's what that was quote-unquote hunting and it's quite the opposite especially uh well actually anywhere now, I mean, you've really got to you got to be pretty dang fit to to really be successful with hunting, or at least to be success, as successful as you truly want to be. Now, there are those people that get lucky. Don't get me wrong. You can drive around in a truck, drinking your your soda or your whatever, and uh, and and get lucky. That two hundred incher might run out in front of you. Uh, it's probably not going to happen that often. Uh, that if you're that lucky, you and I need to go to Vegas. Um, but and I think sometimes, and, and this is just my own theory, but but luck luck seems to pay you back for effort. Like mm-hmm. I've I've had lucky stuff, but the days up to that, I have worked and worked and worked, and then all of a sudden something happens where you're just beat down and tired, and you're like, you know what, I'm duck out just a few minutes early tonight. You get on the side by side or the four wheeler, you're driving back down to the trailhead or driving back down to your truck, and what do you know? There's a four nice four point buck. 75 yards off the road yeah yep <laughs> that i feel like sometimes just happens because you put so much effort in yep. and and you know the biggest thing we gotta not to get in a rabbit hole but the biggest thing you gotta remember is our strongest muscle or tools you know it, it's our mind if you've got the you know you need the physical tools to get to a place but sometimes that's what makes us effective hunters yes weapons help but but having a mind that we can study know what's happening know we need to get to a spot to cut off an animal don't have to just chase it mindlessly that can be a very effective tool if your mind's in shape or your mind's sharp and you can figure out what these animals are doing that's that's a huge part of being successful yeah so really everything that we're talking about is just preparation preparation for anything that could possibly happen i mean i've been that guy a few years ago hunting here in Colorado deer hunt I was driving down the road and it was a two-lane road you know kind of back in the hills but um deer's running across the mountain it took me a few minutes to get off the road and get set up and by the time he did that he I did that he was you know five six hundred yards away um but you're right Seth I mean you got to have that mental preparation as well that you don't get flustered you you have that trigger time that you know what your gun's gonna do you know what your gun's possible 
of doing as well as yourself behind that gun. I mean, everything that we're talking about is, is preparation so that when a moment like that happens or you need to climb to the top of that mountain, you're prepared. You're physically fit and prepared to get to that top of the mountain. Really, basically, once you draw that tag, guys, gals, um, just start doing everything you can to prepare for whatever situation that may present itself. If you're hunting in the east and you're sitting in a tree stand, spend some time shooting from a seated position. You know, that's something that I don't do a lot of. In fact, I rarely do it. Um, but get used, you know, that if I was to draw a tag out there, that's what I'd have to do um, to be successful. If I was to go and try to do it right now, I probably wouldn't be that successful. If you're hunting in the west, yeah, you've got to be physically fit. you got to be ready to climb to the top of that mountain to glass. Um, you got to be ready to haul that elk, you know, six miles out. I mean, you got to, whatever tag you've drawn, take these things that we've talked about today um, and, and just use them as preparation to prepare yourself for that hunt. And right now it's kind of that beginning. You, you've got that successful email letting you know that you have that tag or will have that tag in your pocket. Start preparing. Um, Seth, the, the physical portion was the last one on my list. Did you have any others on your list? Just a quick one. Um, just just check your gear like don't rely on it to be like obviously get what you need like you're going into a hunt okay i need this 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 but check the gear that you use year to year because it gets forgotten sometimes guys are like oh yeah i need a new whatever because i'm going on this specialty hunt and i need to use it for this hunt but if you're focusing all that maybe you know something as simple as oh i forgot that i'd lost whatever my flashlight last year you get out on the hunt and you didn't check gonna suck real bad (laughs) i sure close enough to a town you can run and grab this gear but check it make sure it's working properly you know sleeping bag doesn't have a huge hole in it whatever uh it's all preparation just like karen said i mean that whole check your gear thing's just another part of that prepping you know something we ought to do seth for our listeners and for the followers of e-hunter you know a checklist would actually kind of be would be actually pretty cool to put together of like things to really just make sure that you you have in check now it's kind of it's not going to be all inclusive because you know depending on what hunt you're going on it it may be a little bit different but it'd be kind of nice and and the reason i thought about this is because you were saying check your gear and and i made my own checklist for my hunts and my checklist is not just check my which there it is on there check my my batteries and my (laughs) my flashlights um check my scope mounts make sure everything's nice and tight you know those kind of things are on there but there's also um other things that I do have I got all my waypoints marked on onyx have I you know have I done the physical part of it have I you know got whatever gear I need I I, I do that so maybe kind of helpful for people if we if there was a checklist I guess for everybody that's listening you could make your own checklist would love to to hear what you guys would put on your checklist I, I'd love to hear it anyways yeah I think that would be super interesting to see how everything varies from person to person what they deem essential i mean obviously a lot of the stuff's going to be the same but but some little stuff that makes it in would be cool to see yeah we gotta make a post on uh on social media what what would be on your checklist to prepare for a hunt yeah i think that would be interesting to see what everybody comments back to us on yeah well cool guys well we just wanted to share this with you again as everybody's coming out with uh, or getting results right now for their hunts we wanted to just um, kind of let you know what our thoughts are some things to, to think about as you prepare and, and everything we talked about was really preparing for that tag that you now have in your pocket whether it be a general season hunt that you get to hunt every single year or whether that's that once in a lifetime tag um, we, we just kind of want to touch on a few of the things that, that we think of um, 
when we draw that tag. Guys, if there's anything that you feel like that we didn't talk about or things that you would do that, that we didn't talk about, um, let us know. Like I said in the beginning, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. If there's a, you know, a, something that you do to prepare that we could add to that list, let us know. Shoot us an email. Uh, send us a message on social media. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, before we check out, though, again, want to thank Vortex Optics uh, for everything that they do. Check them out at vortexoptics.com. I didn't put that in the in the intro, but that's their website. And also, guys, if you ever have any questions about some of their products, let us know. We're kind of becoming gurus of their products. We use them on a daily basis pretty much. And so if you have any questions, um, just just let us know about that. So appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast as well as share it around um, if you have friends that are, you know, into hunting, new to hunting, or want to get into hunting, um, tell them to, to hop on the podcast, to subscribe to it. Uh, we'll try to get out some good content for you guys. So, Seth, anything else to add before we, we jump off today? Nope, I think you wrapped it up nice. Okay, sounds good. Well, guys, appreciate you. Thank you for uh, being supporters of eHunter, and we will see you all soon. See ya.